Thank you so much, ladies, and thank you folks for being here this morning. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to be here this week and to preach this meeting. It's been a great joy and honor for my wife to be with you folks. And uh, again, I just want to encourage uh, the church family and just say thank you on behalf of all the missionaries for all your kindness this week. And specifically, yesterday was such a blessing. Uh, receiving the gifts that were distributed yesterday was uh, certainly overwhelming. I, I guess that's a word I can use, overwhelming, and we're certainly grateful for that. So here's my task this morning. I've got a job to get done, and I've got a lot to say and a short time to say it, all right? So here, here's the deal. If you'll help me and you'll stay with me, I'll do this as very, very quickly. I have a time to finish that I want to finish, all right? But I'm going to go longer if you're not listening. So you have to listen. So take your copy of God's Word. Let's go to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter number 9, uh, chapter number 9 this morning. And we'll begin reading here in verse 35. We'll read down to verse 38. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through verse 38. I'm not going to have you stand this morning, so please, I'm going to begin reading. You follow along as you find your place in God's Word this morning. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. We find a little caveat here. But... But what? When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's the solution. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest. Most of us have been in a perhaps a small group, maybe a Wednesday night meeting, or maybe a Sunday school class, and someone will say, hey, let's share some prayer requests, and hands start to pop up all over the place, and people start to share what's on their heart. It may be a, a loved one that they are concerned about their soul, they want to see them saved. It may be a financial problem that someone else is having, or maybe even their own life. It could be just a, a family member that's going through a hard time, but we understand that when we listen to prayer requests, it kind of reveals the heart of compassion of the person that's sharing that, that particular re- request. And, and so most of us will respond. And, and when, a, when a person prays, it really is a good indication of what's on their heart. Well, here in our text, we find our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's burdened, the Bible says, with a great need. When he, we see his heart when he asks his disciples to pray specifically for a specific thing. And this morning, I want to share with you the need for laborers. That's the title of the message a need for laborers. Now think about this. Jesus was standing in a time when people were truly lost. His people, the Hebrew people, had religion, but they didn't have a relationship with God. You know, there's a lot of people in churches this morning, and they're religious. They know how to cross the spiritual T's and dot the spiritual I's, but they don't have a relationship with the God of heaven. Uh, to them, he's some distant being out there, and they're hoping somehow they can do enough good Again, again, to cross the threshold, you know, to find acceptance with God. Can I help you this morning? God loves you. And he loves me. He loved us so much that he sent this person who's speaking in our text to die on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. It's not about us doing. It's about us receiving. It's about us believing in what Jesus Christ has done. I want you to notice three things this morning as we consider this prayer request of Jesus for laborers. Would you notice, first of all, the timing of the prayer request? Verse number 35. Now, I have a tendency to talk fast, right? I'll tell you why that is. My grandparents and my parents all come from West Virginia. So you should be, I'm in good company this morning, right? So I'm going to talk fast because I'm in West Virginia this morning. Notice, first of all, there's a season of movement in the life of Jesus. The Bible is clear that Jesus is busy. 
He's begun his public ministry. The Bible says he went to all the cities. Don't you love the fact that he didn't exclude any of them? He went to all the cities. And of course, when we think about cities, we think of pockets of population where people live on top of each other. But he didn't also, it doesn't stop there. He says, and he went to all the villages. The villages, of course, were the small out of the way places uh, where people did the, the farming. They took care of the animals. So he went to the cities and he went to the villages. So he's moving. It's a, it's a season of movement, but it's also a season of ministry. You know, a lot of times when we visit places, we're going to go see things. We're, we've got a bucket list of things that we want to accomplish in our life. We want things we want to see and places we want to go. But when Jesus went, he didn't go to see. He went to do. He went to minister. The Bible says he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, there was a problem with the nation of Israel. They had fallen into the trap like many people about doing. They thought, well, if I can just do enough. If we can, if we have, we have these, all these traditions and we've written them down in the book and if we can just do those things and just do them rightly, God loves us because we're his special people. Well, they were absolutely wrong and Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel said, hey, you don't get to heaven by doing, you get to heaven by receiving and here I am, I'm the Savior and I'm presenting myself to you. They didn't understand about who he was. They didn't understand why he had come. He was trying to help them and the gospel said, believe on me. That's what he was saying. You may be sitting here this morning and you may, again, be religious. You, you may be, uh, have been a part of this church. You know, I've known people who've been a part of a Baptist church all of their life. I started attending a Baptist church when I was nine months old. So every Sunday morning, every Sunday night from that point on, every Wednesday night I was in church. But I didn't get saved because I went to church. I got saved because there was a moment in a church service when I heard the gospel and I understood that I was a lost sinner and that Jesus died for me and I needed to be born again. And by the way, every person that's going to go to heaven has to be born again. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said so. In John chapter 3, he said, except a man, and that word man there is generic, it means man or woman, except a man be born again. He cannot, listen, he cannot what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. So the truth of the matter is, is that every person, it's God's desire that every person should be saved. The Bible says God is not, not willing that any should perish. We're not Calvinists here. We don't believe that in selective, uh, that God only died for some. No, God died for all. If people don't go to heaven, it's not God's fault. It's, it's our fault because we have not responded to the gospel. So he came, he's moving, and he's ministering, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I just want to say to you this morning, if you're not certain of your salvation, in just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. That invitation is meant to respond to the messages God has moved in your heart. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a lost sinner, Jesus died for you and he wants you to be saved and to be part of his family. May God help us understand that. So it's a timing this ministry, this prayer request. Notice if you would, secondly, the motivation of the prayer request in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He saw people... And their condition and what he saw moved him, the Bible says, to compassion. So as Jesus is moving about among these people, he's come. You know, I've, I've run into people, Pastor, I'm sure you've run into people like this. And here, here's the kind of philosophy. You know, God's just out there someplace and he's just kind of disengaged from, you know, this world. And he's just kind of started it all, but he's kind of letting it spin. He's not really all that concerned about us down here. Can I tell you how wrong you are? The Bible says God loved us so much that he became a man. And he walked among us and what he saw moved him. He's not distant. He's not. He, look, look, I want you to know something this morning. God knows everything about your life. 
He knows your social security number. He knows what's in your bank account, how little much, how little it may be. You, if you went to the grocery store yesterday, there's probably very little in it, right? Uh, but but, but he, know, he, knows, he knows all about you this morning. He knows where you live. He knows, he knows about your life. He knows about your hurts. He knows about your discouragements. He knows about your happiness. He knows about your joy. He knows all about that today because he walks among us. God of heaven is not distant today. He knows about you today. His Holy Spirit is here in this place, and he's aware of that. But he's a God of compassion. When he was walking among the cities and villages, he saw some things, and what he saw moved him. As God in the flesh, he saw beyond the superficial aspects of life. Look look at the phrase in verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved to compassion. That word saw, here's what it means. It means to see to the deepest extent. So I walked in here the very, very first time on Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening for the service, and I saw some people, and you saw me. Now here, here's what we normally do, because we see, we see outwardly, we see physical things. We make almost immediate judgments about, about people based on what we see. We'll look at somebody and say, well, that looks like a nice person. And we look at somebody else, and they're really looking kind of mean, and we say, whoa, <laughs> You want to stay away from that person. They look like they've had a bad day, you know. And the truth of the matter is, is that we make these superficial judgments, but that's not how God sees. God doesn't make superficial judgments. He doesn't say, well, that looks like a nice person. He knows whether what's going on in your heart and life. He knows what's going on in my heart and life. And the truth of the matter is we can put on facades, but he knows. And when he saw, the Bible says he saw, and it means to know to the most profound sense And then the Bible says that what Jesus saw moved him to compassion. That phrase literally carries the idea that physically he was touched by what he saw. You'll read this phrase in the Bible some places. It it makes the statement, bowels of compassion. We don't necessarily make that statement today. But the, the indication is among the Middle Eastern people in Jesus' time, they talked about this, and I don't know how to say this any other way, but the belly or the gut area of our life, okay? We, we feel things very deeply there. We, we sense things. And, and, and so when the Bible says that when Jesus saw, it literally means he physically was touched by what he saw. I mean, it, it's pretty, over, pretty overwhelming what, what, when the Bible says that Jesus saw that and it moved. It, it's a, it's a, 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 a phrase that is association with feeling or sensing in the deepest part of a man. You may remember the prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 48, My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah was given the responsibility of prophesying to the nation of Judah as they were going into the captivity. And he's watching as God is exercising discipline upon his people and sending them into captivity. And what he saw caused his eyes to weep and, and, and to be troubled by it. You know, I'm afraid many of us Christians, we see things today. And instead of being moved by it, we're perturbed by it. We look at our culture today and we see the culture going off the rails and things that, that 20 years ago or 10 years ago, we never even thought of it. Now it's kind of commonplace and we're mad about it. We ought to be weeping over it. We ought to be broken over the fact that people are, are, are so caught up in sin today that, that their lives are, are being torn apart and they're being destroyed by the ravages of sin. And that's exactly what the text tells us. Jesus saw their desperate need when it says he saw them as those that fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, 
I've never been one who spent a lot of time in the realm of horticulture or animal husbandry, any of those type of things. I grew up in the city most of my life, and my biggest extent of animal uh, aspect was having a couple of stray dogs over the years, you know. But here's what I found out as I've studied for preaching, that shepherds and sheep have a very important relationship. A sheep without a shepherd is an animal that's heading for destruction. God has built into many animals a defense mechanism. We, we all know that, you know, you corner a dog and you, you beat it enough or you corner it enough, you poke it enough, it's going to come out snarling and, and snapping at you and you don't want to get caught up in that. We all know that cats sometimes, you know, if you, they're not declawed, they can use those, those claws to do some real damage. Uh, we, we've all seen, and we've been to the zoo, we've seen the tigers and the lions, and I'm not one that's going to jump over the fence and say, come on, buddy, I'll take you on. No, no, we, we understand they have these abilities to defend themselves. I mentioned the Sunday school class I was teaching this morning that my wife and I, coming back yesterday from the picnic, we were heading back to the pastor's house where we're staying, and on the road, uh, somebody had run over a skunk. And God built that little animal, that little kitty cat with a white stripe. That if you get him in a bad position, he's going to put you in a bad position, right? Well, somebody had put him in a bad position yesterday, and he was letting the world know that he had been there. And by the way, coming, home, coming back to church this morning, he was still there. So, so I'm telling you that all these animals, God has built into some of them this defense mechanism, but a, but a sheep has no defense. It's a helpless animal. It doesn't know how to defend itself. It's really somewhat of a dumb animal. It has to be protected. And so Jesus said, I'm seeing all these people, and he's saying, I'm seeing their lives being ravaged by sin. And I'm telling you, the devil wants to do that to you. The devil offers us a good time, and he makes things look inviting, but he wants to trap you in that sin, and he'll destroy your life. God saw the ravages of sin, and he saw people scattered as those having no shepherd. And that was the pressure of the prayer request or the, the motivation. Notice if you would, verses 37 and 38. Here's the third thought very quickly. The pressure of the prayer request. It's a great harvest, he says, but it's a lack of labors. Now, in Jesus' day, most of the people have been very much familiar with the, the need of farming. It wasn't like you went to the supermarket and all this stuff was in cans and you know, you brought it home. No, no, this was a, an agrarian type of lifestyle. People lived off the land or they bartered with people who farmed. And so they were familiar that, hey, here's a large parcel. And this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to see this vast harvest field. So we, we live in a world today when things are done by mechanics and, and by large pieces of equipment. And, and, you know, we've all seen the farmers. We've all seen the, the tractors. We've all seen those, those big pieces of equipment. And, you know, they're out there in the spring, they're preparing the fields, they're putting the seed in the ground, and then, of course, maybe in the summer, they're putting on the pesticides, but then it comes harvest time, and you get into August, you get into September, and it's time to bring in the corn, it's time to bring in the soybean, it's time to bring the harvest in, and so they bring that big equipment in to, be, to bring in the harvest, and, you know, maybe a couple of people can farm, maybe, or harvest several thousand acres in a short amount of time because they have the equipment. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't that way. It was all done by hand. And here's what you and I need to understand about a harvest. You don't have forever to bring it in. There's a limited amount of time. There's a window for the harvest. And Jesus said, I want you to see what I see. I see this vast harvest field. It's ready. It's ripe to harvest. It's ready to be brought in. But here's the problem. 
problem is that there's a lack of laborers. Ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know today the world is ever increasing. We live in a place and a world today that is over almost 8 billion people. The country of India has 1.4 billion people. China has 1.4 billion people. The most populated nations on the face of the earth. Held in the grips of false religion. But I believe that they're ripe to harvest. We look across the 1040 window where over 5 billion souls live. And so few laborers. They say that less than 10% of the missionary force are, 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 being, are, are right now laboring among two-thirds of the world's population. It's a vast harvest field, and it's ready to be brought in, but there's a problem. There's a lack of laborers. I want to share some th- thoughts with you today, because we think about this world in which we're living. These statistics that I'm going to share with you here this morning, and I'm going to throw them up on the screen here in just a moment. But I want you to see these numbers, because I can give you these numbers, but when you see them, there's something about our eyes and our hearing that kind of going together just kind of overwhelms me. These particular statistics come from a ministry called Worldview Ministries. It's located about, it's headquartered in the Faith Baptist Church in Danville, Indiana. Their whole thought of this ministry is they want to get the Bible to people who don't have a copy of God's Word. So listen to their statistics. They say that, throw if you would the first one up, there are 17,014 nations on the face of this planet. Now when I say nations, we're not talking about countries, we're talking about people groups with a distinct DNA So we're talking about peoples that maybe several of these nations that are located in a particular country. But they say that there are over 17,014 of them that are located on this planet right now that that those DNAs would be found within this world. Throw up the second statistic, if you would. 9,951 of these nations have been reached. When we say reached, it means that there's been enough gospel preached among them. If we didn't send another missionary, not that we don't need to, but if we didn't send another missionary, they should be able to self-perpetuate the gospel among themselves and to reach their own community. So 9,951 of these nations have been reached. Throw up the third statistic, if you would. There are 7,063 nations that are unreached. When we say unreached, we say that less than 2% of the population is any type of Christian at all. So in other words, most of these nations of the 7,063 are held in the grips of some false religion. It could be Islam, it could be Buddhism, it could be Hinduism, it could be atheism. But they're held in the grips of that false religion. And there isn't enough Christians there to perpetuate any type of church planning movement. They don't have the necessary resources to be able to financially do that. And so they are unreached with the gospel. Now there are people trying to reach some of these 7,063 nations. So be aware of that. Throw up the the, uh, fourth statistic if you would. Of the 7,063 nations, 4,757 of them are completely unengaged. You say, what does that mean? Well, it simply means there are no, there's no Christian church presence, no gospel presence, very little scripture or no scripture, little or no access, and listen, most importantly, nobody's doing anything about it. Did you hear what I said? 4,757 of these nations right now, as far as we know, nobody's even trying to reach them. Did Jesus say to go into all the world and preach the gospel or just some of the world? He said to go into all the world. That means those 4,757 nations need to be reached. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let's talk a little bit about this. Throw up the next statistic if you would. They say of the 17,000 nations that they speak 7,117 living languages. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with the English language. So try to learn more than one. I was just recently with somebody, they knew two or three languages, and that's just pretty much mind-boggling. But they say there are 7,117 living languages that are spoken in this world right now. Now, I don't, I, that's, I'm just giving you their statistic. It's a little bit overwhelming. Throw up the next statistic, if you would. Of that 7,117, only 698 have an entire Bible. Staggering. You know, we and I, you and I, who are English-speaking people, we've had a Bible in this country since it was established, since our first people landed here. They brought a Bible with them. We English-speaking people are so blessed, and oftentimes we take for granted the Word of God. Of the 7,117 uh, languages, only 690 have an entire Bible. Throw the next statistic up, if you would. 1,548 have a New Testament. Next statistic, 1,138 have a portion, maybe a, a few, maybe a, a, a John and Romans, maybe a, some scripture. That means, final statistic, 3,733 languages have no Bible or no scripture. The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. Some of you young people sitting here, you say, you know, I, I don't know that I could be, you know, I don't know that God's called me to preach. Has God given you a mind? Has he given you ability to, to understand language? There's some people that are really gifted in that area. Do you know that we have some independent Baptist churches today that are working to, to get scripture to these 3,733 that have none? First Bible out of Milford. They've got a whole school of linguistics. You've got to have a, you have to have a college degree, and then you go to their school. You have four years of, of, of master's program on how to learn languages, how to put it in written form, how to take the biblical languages and translate it, and then how to teach people how to read. You talk about an arduous task, but it is a task that needs to be done. I'm telling you that Jesus, when Jesus said the harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few, that was 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. We have to understand that. I'm going to wrap this up real quick this morning. Here's an illustration I think will help us understand what I'm talking about. We're here in, in uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia. I know it's not a, a huge community. You're not far from Hagerstown, Maryland. So let's just say we're, tomorrow we're going to go up to Hagerstown. It's a little bit larger community. Not exactly the Bible Belt, you know. I mean, there's, you know, it's uh, obviously there, there's Christians up there. So let's just say we're going to a shopping place, a place of business. We get out of a vehicle yes, tomorrow morning sometime, and people are milling about. And how about if we lift up our voice and say, hey, hey, could somebody here tell me who Jesus is? Now, I might have to stand there for a little while, but I'm sure that it wouldn't be too long before someone would come up and say, Sir, I, I, Jesus, he's the Son of God. Or somebody would come up and say, Here's a gospel track. I, I went to my church yesterday, picked it up. Here's a gospel track. Can I help show you who Jesus is? Or, or here's a website that you can visit. Or, or I can take you to my church. Or, or, or you know, here's a YouTube channel that you can visit that, that can help you with these things. I'm telling you, you wouldn't have to be very long in any major city in the United States of America and I'm not saying we don't need to do more church planning here, but I'm just simply saying there's enough gospel here that people know who Jesus is. Okay, let's go to the 1040 window. Statistically speaking, if you could start speaking the day that you were born, I feel like some people are like that. <laughs> let's say that you start speaking. You could start speaking the English language the day that you were born or the language of the country you are born in, in that country. And you could speak 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 80 years till the day you died. And you could say in your language, could someone tell me who Jesus is? Stati statistically speaking, right now as it stands, unless it changes, 
you have an eight or nine out of ten chance of dying and going to hell without ever meeting someone who can tell you who Jesus is. My friend Naranjan, who helps us in this ministry, said he was talking to someone recently who lived in one of these parts of the world, and he said he had a conversation. He said, do you know who Jesus is? And here was the response to the gentleman. He said, I don't think he lives in our village, but maybe he lives in the next one. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but that troubles me. And it ought to trouble our heart this morning that our world is still 2,000 years after Jesus commanded us to go into all the world. But we still haven't reached our world sufficiently that everyone on the face of this planet at least has access to someone who can tell them who Jesus is. Let me conclude by simply saying, can we hear the voice of our Savior this morning? What he said here in Matthew chapter 9 still resonates today. Many people will say, well, I'm not called to that. I, I love the response of, that was given by General William Booth of the Salvation Army when someone said they're not called. Listen to what he said, quote, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonizing heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to the Father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look in the face of Christ whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him that you will not join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. End quote. Oh, my brothers and sisters of Christ, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Would you bow your heads together with me in prayer? You say, what are we supposed to do with that? We have a command. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. I want to tell you that command in Matthew chapter 9 is not a suggestion. It is a command. And we need to start praying for the, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. And the, and the prayer ought to be, God, would you send forth labors? And I'm available. Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. A couple of questions this morning and we'll begin the invitation. How many folks are here today and say, Preacher, there was a day, there was a time, I remember distinctly when I, someone shared with me Jesus Christ and, and how he could save my soul. It, it may have been a soul winner on your doorstep. It could have been in a church service like this. It could have been in a workplace when somebody took a gospel track and walked, walked you down what we call the Romans Road of Salvation. But you know if you die today, you're going to be with God in heaven. You have a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ and you know that he's your Savior. Would you slip your hand up and share that with me this morning? You know that. Thank you so very much. Is there someone here today who couldn't raise your hand and say, Preacher, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't, I, I may, you may have religion, you may be moral, you may be good, but you don't know, you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. You, you don't know that you've ever been born again. And you say, Preacher, I couldn't raise my hand a moment ago, but I'll raise it now. Because I sure don't want to die and go to hell. I'd like to go to heaven. If I could go to heaven, I'd like to know about that. And I want you to pray for me. I wonder if there's someone like that this morning in this service. Just slip your hand up long enough for me to see it. I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you. But just slip it up long enough for me to see it. Upstairs in the balcony, downstairs on the main floor. Anyone like that this morning? I'm not certain of my salvation. Don't know I'm going to heaven when I die. But I'd like to know. Anyone like that at all? Quickly as we wait for just a moment. How many of us this morning could hear the Savior calling through, this, through the text today that there's a lack of labors for the harvest? And how many of us commit to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth labors in his harvest. Would you commit to that this morning? Would you slip your hand up and share that with me and say, I'll pray for labors. I'll pray that God will send forth labors to his harvest. God bless you. 
And I hope many of you will be participating in the offering this week, uh, to, today, to, to send forth labors to help these that have been called to go. There's a great need, but there's a lack of labors. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, please, we ask that you'll bless the